Well, my name is Duke Bendix. I'm on staff here at Grace Covenant Church, and uh, it's a real delight to be with you all this evening. Pastor Brett and Cynthia are ministering in Hawaii. Somebody has to do it. Um, Pastor Jim Critcher is down with our sister church in Kings Park, down in Raleigh, North Carolina. So uh, it's a real blessing and an honor to be able to be here with you and minister. Um, I'm going to continue on with the theme that we've been discussing over the last few weeks, Healthy from the Inside Out. Uh, Pastor Jim started this basically working out of a, uh, I guess it's a theory or a psychological principle used by psychologists called the self-determination theory. And what he did is he identified, using this theory, he identified three key components that, that lead us or characterize what it means to be happy, to be, uh, to be uh, feeling like one's life is full. And those three elements were <clears throat> authenticity, competence, and connectedness. Now, I don't know if Pastor Jim is going to continue on and talk more about competence and connectedness. I know he will be talking about the connectedness aspect of it, but I want to just continue on the whole subject of authenticity. And I think the reason why authenticity is such an important uh, concept for us to look at as Christians is because I don't know about you, but too often in my own experience, I've sensed a disconnect between what I really believe and what I really practice. Well, there's three of us. Christopher, thank you. One of the other elders. You're being led by men who feel very flawed most of the time. But I think authenticity is one of those words that's so critical because we need to come back and look at and consider what does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus Christ in this culture in this time. Uh, I've been struck by some of the quotes. I just uh, read a couple here that have come out, have been mentioned in the last few weeks. Uh, first, if you don't know what to do, you may not know who you are. This is from our pastor in the church in Honolulu. If you don't know what to do, it may be that you do not know who you are. Identity guides ability. The what follows the who. And we live in a culture where it's exactly turned around and we're expected to function, perform, do various things. And uh, the, we, sometimes, we sometimes don't lose ourselves in the process. We never maybe know, knew who we really were to begin with. And so we fill things with the effort to try to be something, to show ourselves to be something. I think it was Thomas Merton said that, that uh, he was describing the fact that that I, I wrap myself in bandages like the invisible man in order to make myself visible and to allow myself to connect with the world around me. But if you were to unwrap the bandages of what I do and what I give myself to, nothing there. Authenticity, another quote, is realized as we move beyond what the expectations of others demand. It is freedom to live in such a place in such a way that we affirm the centrality of God's approval and affection. We're going to talk a little, build on that a little tonight. Um, Our authenticity, I love this one, is living out what God has already done. Realizing what he has already established. He is looking for something he has already put there. 
Our authenticity is living out, reflecting, expressing what God has created. And we definitely are going to start with that one tonight. Final quote, and this one is so important. Authenticity is expensive because we must be courageous to live the life God has created us to live. And let me just say, as a way of anticipation, authenticity is courageous because in many cases we have to discover the life God has intended us to live and not think that that what we do and the motions we go through and what we understand as being Christian expression is necessarily what God really intends for us. So I want to jump into the discussion here, and I want to just pose that authenticity as believers is to be understood as our pursuit to live out the lives God created us to live in Christ. Authenticity as believers is to be understood as our pursuit to live out the lives that God created for us to live in Jesus Christ. These are radical times. When the foundations are shaken, the psalmist said, where do do you turn? Well, the foundations are shaken. We must look more intently at what God has established and be sure we're rooted in that. That we're living our lives upon eternal foundations. That we're drawing up from what is substantive and real and true and not what is form or fancy. Is it possible that with so much change going on, so much uprooting going on, that God would require that we, his people, become more deeply rooted in our faith? Is it not unreasonable to think that he will use the turbulence, the uncertainty, even the resistance of the times that we live in to drive us to him? We've got to start looking at reality differently, folks. We've got to start reading the newspaper differently because there's precious little you find now that even points to something good. Every time you turn around, it's turbulence, and oftentimes it's turbulence relating to an uprooting of the very things we hold as dear, as true, as right. And that leaves us in the place of asking ourselves, what are we to do? I want to offer four markers this evening, reference points, if you will, to help us better recognize the basis of our authenticity as believers. I I was trying to to express how how to describe this. What I want to do is just give us four reference points that we can look to, that we can draw from, that can help us understand better what goes into being authentic. And the four things are very simple. God's design, man's decline. God's salvation, man's application. And those are the four things we're going to just touch on here uh, over the next little bit. God's design, man's decline. God's salvation, man's application. Let's look at God's design. The Bible tells us that our authenticity is established on our being created by God for his purpose and pleasure. If I didn't say anything else more tonight, that would be worth just pondering for a while. But you and I are created intentionally with great care, with great understanding and insight. And we are designed for specific, not only purposes, 
But we are designed to be someone who is pleasing to God in and of the way we are. In Jeremiah 1.5, we get a window into God looking at things from before the beginning, if you will. He says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet. Now, we look at scriptures like that. And what I want to encourage us to, to realize is that's a snapshot into the reality of what God has done for every human being. That is what we are to rise up to and lay hold upon and understand. It's called God's foreknowledge. Foreknowledge, and this is a, it's a don't, don't go to sleep on me here. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm a teacher. I'm not particular. I preach a little, but I like to teach. And one of the things I like to teach are things that we don't hear too often too very much about. God's foreknowledge is more than, that's, please don't hear that as anything other than I just enjoy talking about this stuff. So you're here, you're my captive audience, so there you go. God's foreknowledge is more than seeing, God seeing things before they happen. It's more than that. God's foreknowledge is, 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 is happens to be the, his set regard upon. To know with peculiar interest, delight, affection, and action. God's foreknowledge is of individuals whom he knew from eternity with distinguishing affection and delight. And do you see why we got to get a hold of this? This has to be a revelation down in our insides. We need to understand that God has a design. Foreknowledge could be equated with the word foreloved. Such foreknowledge has with a view to a particular aim and outcome that these foreloved ones would be conformed to the image of Christ. I didn't even read my scripture passage for this. Let me go back and read Romans 8.29 where we see this set forth in scripture. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. We see this same principle or this same truth revealed, unpacked in Ephesians 2.10 where there Paul writes, for we are his workmanship, his craftsmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, the vista of God's foreknowledge. The far-reaching perspective that goes back from before apparently creation itself and leads to a foreknowledge to an outcome that extends onto eternity itself. And we were known in that way. We were designed with that kind of purpose in mind. Like Jeremiah, God foreknew us. He looked with affection and kindness and with purpose on each one of our lives. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. His work in Christ is to the end uh, it's to the end or with the aim of bringing forth a people designed, equipped, prepared and guided so as to accomplish his appointed ends. 
To live authentic lives as believers begins with the assurance that God has designed our lives. And having such an assurance, living the whole of our lives, seeking to know and embrace that design. Let me say that again. To live authentic lives as believers begins with the assurance that God has designed our lives. We've got to start with that. Most of us affirm that, maybe as a theological concept, we hear it most often said, we are made in the image of God. And it really doesn't go much further than that. That gives significance, value. It's on that argument that we stand against abortion, we stand against euthanasia, we stand against everything that stands against life. Because, every, every, because life is good because it comes from God. But we have to understand that God has designed our lives, and with that assurance, we need to live the whole of our lives seeking to know and embrace that design. God, what did you have in mind? God's foreknowledge of us is to the end that we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. His foreknowledge of us is not to some, and let me just strike a, a shot across the bow of our normal understanding of destiny. You've got a dream, aspire to your dream, live your dream. That is the very definition of autonomy. That is the very definition of independence from God. It's not my dream. It's God, what did you have to start with? What did you have in mind to begin with? Colossians 3.3 3 says for you... Oh, I haven't even got to the bad parts yet. <laughs> Colossians 3.3 3 says for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've died and your life is hidden in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I'm supposed to be who I am, yet my life is hidden, tucked in to Jesus Christ. So I want to suggest that the beginning question is not who am I in Christ, but who is Christ in me? That's the starting question. Number two, man's decline. Now I'm going to get to have some fun. Our problem with this is that we are not only blind to God's design for us, we actually don't even believe it's true. I've screwed up too many times. Whatever design he had, he tore that blueprint up a long time ago. And yet the truth of it is, what God establishes, it does not change. It's immutable. It will come to pass. If God has said it, it's going to happen. And when we tap into the fact that we're designed, with, designed by God, folks, that's what we're tapping into. God's got an unchanging purpose, an unchanging design, an unchanging plan, and it's up to us to find out what it is and join ourselves passionately to it. We're not only blind to God's design, we often don't believe it's true, and, and here's the real issue, if it is true... We have a bigger problem. God's plan's not our plan. What God expects is not what we expect. What we think it ought to look like isn't necessarily what God has in mind for it to look like. Bob Mumford 
teacher years and years ago said this. God spoke to him and said, Bob, he said, you and I are incompatible. And I don't change. Even as believers, our intent is to work God's plan and purpose in such a way that they support and fulfill our plans. <laughs> the problem is sin and iniquity. And it's not just a matter of the wrong things we do, the sensual self-indulgences we give ourselves to. Iniquity is the bent in our thinking that continually gives rise to such choices, actions, and motives. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4 describes the condition we were in before our coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's colorful. He says, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Following the course of this world, we were in a current, being carried along, defining our lives, filling our lives, measuring our lives by what we were floating along in said we were we were following the course of this world we were following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience and among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind by nature children of wrath and then we have this great statement of paul but god stepped into that changed all that and we look at that and say great let's move on But a little further on in Ephesians 4, in the, excuse me, in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, Paul brings us back to this. And he, he says this, he says, he said, he unpacks this condition implying that though we are saved, it is possible to walk under the same influences we had in the world. He says, don't walk like the Gentiles do anymore. Now, why would he say that to a group of Christians unless there was the capacity to walk like the Gentiles did? Unless some of them in that ancient church in Ephesus, certainly none today, but then were living like some Gentiles. He said, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He said, in the futility of their minds. Listen to the description here. In the futility of their minds, that what they think about is futile. It goes nowhere. It doesn't go any further than I wonder what will happen next week on that television program. That's what futile thinking looks like. In the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding. No concept of what's going on. But more than that, darkened in their understanding because when it comes right down to it, they don't really want to know what's going on. alienated from the life of God because of ignorance due to the hardness of heart. Now, he's speaking this to believers, and this is not pre-saved believers now. He's talking to us. Callous, given over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up. I just wanted to edify you all tonight. In fact, I'm going to quit a little early. Let's just pray. My point is this, it's not to condemn, but to understand that these things that are being described are deep-seated, long-standing barriers to seeing and believing God's design in our lives. 
our patterns of thought, habits, convictions, orientations that have been cultivated, practiced, and deeply established over a lifetime are not simply swept aside with a prayer of faith. Such patterns are the muscle memory of our soul. It's what we go to. It's default. It's just what I go to. But pastor, does not the Bible say all things are new? And as I'll comment a little bit later on that very passage, this speaks of a new condition of our soul, our new position in Christ from which we move into new opportunity to change and find the life that, are, that, that is ours hidden in Christ. This is why authenticity dis, de, uh, demands courage. Quote it again, authenticity is expensive because we must be courageous to live the life God has created us to live. We think of authenticity as, well, I'm going to come to a time when I put up with ridicule in the office at the, at the water cooler for being Christian. I'm wanting to su- suggest the courage to become authentic has to be implemented in our lives long before we ever get to the water cooler. In fact, there won't be anything substantive for anything to anybody to really criticize at the water cooler if we aren't living authentic lives born out of meaningful change. It is the commitment to lay hold upon and be conformed to the design of God for my life as it is revealed in Christ. This is what authenticity has to do with. And in order to understand this, to come to grips with this, we've got to understand that our very thinking works against us. And we live in a culture that is the, we're still carried along in the current of this world. I'm not saying that any of you or or any of us are doing anything inherently wrong by that. I'm just saying, hey, that's the force. That's what is, that's the wind in our, that's moving us along. And so often we think as Christians, well, I need to turn around and resist it and stand against it. But the problem is you can only do that. You can only do that if there's something deeply established in your own life that will allow you to stand when everything else around you is being uprooted. It is so important to get a clear grasp on God's good design and to understand that the... Listen to this. This is a line from me. I I love this. It's, It's important to get a clear grasp on God's good design and to understand that the pilgrim path to seeing the design realized goes through the barren wilderness of coming to grips with the poverty of our own thinking. When you set out to become authentic... When any of us sets out to see real change happen in our lives, real transformation happening in our lives, we are going to come into a wilderness. And it's because that wilderness seems from where we sit now oftentimes as so expensive, so daunting, so impossible to go through, we just say, hey, I'm going to be the best Christian I can and and we're going to go on from there. But there was a reason that our Lord in the end of the Sermon on the Mount as he said, wide is the door and broad is the path that leads to destruction. I don't think he was talking about hell. But narrow is the door and narrow the path that leads to life and few are those who find it. And I just want to come back tonight and say, folks, 
let's let's join together in understanding we can we can walk that path but it's going to require recognizing how strong how how uh, how structured the default mechanisms in our own thinking are and of course how do we get confronted about those jesus said it very simply you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free And as I've heard said many times before, but the truth at its first appearance is almost always negative. The red check mark on your spelling paper in third grade was an encounter with truth. (laughs) To this day, to this day, Island does not have an S in it. Okay, number three, God's salvation. (laughs) God's commitment to this end of bringing, bringing these things about in our lives is his saving work in Christ. God is committed to our realizing what he has designed us to be. God is committed to our realizing and to seeing his immutable purpose worked out in our lives. And he has gone to great lengths, powerfully great lengths, in order to accomplish a salvation that would allow this to happen. We could spend weeks talking about God's salvation. I just want to summarize a couple, three key points here. Romans 8, 2, listen to this. For the law of the spirit of life, don't think Ten Commandments, think gravity. The law of. The law of spirit of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There has been a cosmic outworking of the power of God to break the power of sin and death in our lives, all of it through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he said it is finished. He wasn't simply talking about his own physical, his own physical condition. <laughs> he, was extend, he was declaring something that is echoing down through the ages and the millennia to this very day. Accomplishing, working out. Here, well, I won't go there. We, we just, okay, I will. The song we sang tonight, he is fighting for us. He's already fought for us. I'm sorry. He is not fighting for us. That fight was accomplished and won not on the cross in 2,000 years ago. It was established before the beginning. The fight for our ability to come into the design of God is already won, folks. I'm sorry, Tiff. I tell Robert I apologize. I just, I, but I listen to some of the songs sometimes, and they make great sense, and we want to see God doing that. But I'm just saying that's the very thing that reinforces a mindset that says, "Hey, God's going to fight for me." Instead of rising up in the dignity, in the assurance, in the faith, 
of the stature of what God has created me to be and say, how do I enter in? And is it possible this fight is for my good? Romans 6, 5, and 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Folks, we are free people. And I'm going to ta- elaborate on that more in a moment. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, if when we were opposed to God, alienated from him, living in rebellious autonomy against him, (coughs) we were reconciled to God, how much more, interesting wording, how much more will we be saved by his life? Now here again, Salvation, folks, is more than going to heaven when you die. Salvation is the outworking of this reality I'm describing here tonight. This is what it looks like to be saved. God has worked powerfully in Christ to break off the controlling power of sin over our lives. On this basis, we can say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Faith in Christ repositions us before God in new life and reprovisions us to live new lives by His Spirit now given to us. We're put in a new position with God and we're given new provision from God. Ezekiel Ezekiel 36 basically is the new birth in the Old Testament. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses And from your idols, God says, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter. And it's on us now to believe that and to rise up and take up that reality and begin to discover what does it look like to walk in it and it's going to require some fundamental changes in how we think, how we choose, what, and, and, and an honesty about what motivates us. Folks, this is what authenticity entails. The point This powerful work on our behalf is applied to us. Now, please listen to this. It's applied to our lives in a moment as something accomplished when we come to faith and turn to Christ. Everything I'm describing is all yours now, and and you came into it when you believed in Jesus Christ. However, The effect of this powerful repositioning, reprovisioning work is realized by us only as we give ourselves to it continually. My theory is this. Most believers regard salvation as God's provision to them. And it certainly is. They don't get it anywhere else. God provides. But here's what that works out as. 
God provides me with mercy. He provides me with his spirit. He provides me with a fresh sense of hope. And so I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to cultivate that reality. And then I'm going to take a scripture like it is for freedom that Christ has set me free and allow me to kind of do pretty much what comes into my mind to do. But that isn't why Christ set us free. My theory is most believers regard salvation as God's provision to them, which it is, but God understands salvation as our identifying with Christ continually. You see, Jesus identified with us. That's what the incarnation is. He became a man. He became a human being. He identified with us so intimately that it says he became sin for us. The way into the kind of of confidence, the kind of uh, truth that we're talking about here today is born out of our now identifying with him. There's a scripture, you find it, count yourselves dead. We have been raised with him. What? I'm not raised with Jesus. No, 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 no. That is a truth I am to step into and to ask God to open up to my heart and my mind and let it work the kinds of change that it can work. Salvation is worked out in us, is shown to be effective in us over time as we learn how to walk as disciples. Folks, this is what discipleship is, everything I'm talking about tonight. As we learn how to walk as disciples, followers, those learning, being directed by Christ and conformed to his image. Number four, man's application. I'm wearing you out with this, but this is the last one. This process of living as a disciple is summarized in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. By now you're beginning to realize that the point I'm trying to make is that authenticity as Christians is not measured in how well we avoid sin or how much we do or how much we have or how much we we do that is right. Rather, authentic Christian living is first and foremost about being conformed to Jesus' image so that who God designed each of us to be can be more clearly and fully expressed. There is a disclosure, folks. This world hasn't even begun to see. What would happen if a group of people began to invest themselves in Christ in this way and we began to divest ourselves of those things that are the remnants of our old way of life, we began to put off the old man. And I'm not saying that you aren't doing that now. We all make a choice when we, I'm not going to get mad, putting off the old man. But, but what we're, some of you are better than that than some of us. So I, you know, but the point is there's something that God wants to he wants to, to, to peel away. He wants, remember, our life is hidden in Christ. And so it becomes now a matter of searching that out, of looking, God, how do I come to know you? Who are you in me? What is my life hidden in you? I've died. My life is hidden in you. Paul says it, uh, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. 
He, Paul prays in Ephesians, I pray that the, the, the Father would strengthen you with power by the Holy Spirit in the inner man. Folks, there's something else here inside that we want to water, we want to cultivate, we want to invest in, we want to believe God wants to bring out and show forth his glory through each of us. Authentic Christian living is first and foremost about being conformed to Christ's image so that who God designed each of us to be, as I've said, can be clearly and fully expressed. Being authentically myself begins with realizing and desiring that God's design, God's conception of who I am, be worked out in me so as to be more fully evident in the way I live. God has a design for me, and I, part of this whole business of authenticity comes back to the old adolescent question, who am I? I think most of us struggled with that when we were 14, 15. Then we got to a point where we got busy with life. We didn't think about it much anymore. And then along comes some guy like me, and he says, well, okay, who are you? In Christ, who are you? And is that coming forth in you? And I'm not inferring in that question that it's not. You just, we just need to ask ourselves honestly in that way. Something of deep change has to occur in the spirit of my mind, in the motivation and intention of my soul for this new man to be put on and lived out. I just can't say, well, I know it's there and, and it is there, so I'm just going to believe that it's there and thank you, Jesus. Now, what's going to happen next on that show? Again, see, but, but I'm just saying, that's the way we think. We have become so pleasure-oriented in some of these things. And again, is there anything wrong in what you're watching? I'm, I trust not. <laughs> I mean, my wife and I have been going through all the sessions of Downton Abbey and loving it. You know, I mean, we didn't see the last season. So we bought it for crying out loud. So I'm not putting down the idea that there are certain things we do that are perfectly legitimate. I'm just saying, what moves us? What shapes us? What defines us? And let me just close. My concern is that provisional faith, where we receive what God has given to us in Jesus Christ, is only the starting point, but we must move toward transformational faith. To authentically become what, who, what, who, how we are as God intended us to be. And I'll leave you with this scripture. 2 Corinthians 3.18 probably summarizes what I'm talking about better than most. Paul says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What Paul is describing, there's two things here that I want to draw out. With unveiled face means seeing what tonight. I mean, God's pulling a veil back for us. On, you with me? With unveiled face, now, I begin to peer, and the image here is looking at, looking at one's countenance in a mirror, a looking glass. But the countenance I'm looking at is the countenance of Jesus. And it says here that as I look, and as I continue to look, 
And as I keep focusing in my looking, as I keep asking the Lord to show me more, as I continue to peer with intensity, with faith, without of my own neediness, but also, Lord, grow up in me a desire to sit in front of this looking glass and peer at you that I might be transformed. And the word transformed, and this one you'll love, is the word metamorphosis. Pastor Brett, some, some months ago, as only he can do by virtue of his biological background, but he talked about what happens when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And that's what we most often think of when we hear the word metamorphosis. And what it is, that caterpillar has an identity, a distinctive quality, an identifiableness about it in and of itself. It could live its life just like that. But deep down within that, there is the capacity for it to become something absolutely beyond what it currently is. And what Pastor Brett was describing, and I can't even begin to do it, but he said literally when that caterpillar goes into a cocoon, it dissolves. And only in that place of complete abandonment of the old can the DNA that's there that brings about the beauty of the butterfly come into, get, come into action? Faith that only receives, that's only provisional in its nature. Oh, God, help me with this. Oh, God, we need you over here. Lord, would you please do this? God, I want to serve. I, I, I need a, you know, we, we, we need a bigger house. God, we, we, need, we need whatever. And so we look at a God who has, who has demonstrated himself to be abundantly faithful in his provision. But salvation in God's eyes always has to do with transformation. He's happy to provide. He's gracious. He's faithful. He's a kind and loving father. But what it's all about is to draw us, to beckon us, to find the narrow gate, to find the narrow path. That leads to life. And that's what God is inviting us to. Amen.